0: Hey guys, welcome to Electronic Dance Money, your number one business resource for making money as electronic musicians and producers. All right, welcome everyone to episode five of Electronic Dance Money. I've got a really awesome episode in store today.
1: Um, my guest today is Sam Heights Gray. Is that that's pretty much what you go yeah, by, most, right? Ironically, people just say the whole name when they meet me, which is kind of weird. But I just roll with it, man. Okay, that totally <laughs> works. Yeah. so.
0: Um, You are mainly a producer for EDM pop. You also do mixing for just those genres or do you kind of stretch into
1: hip hop Uh, as well? Yeah, it kind of crosses over because a lot of my uh, background and what I do now currently is a lot in music licensing. So with music licensing, you're doing multiple genres. So I'm covering like R&B, hip hop, pop, you know, EDM, uh, things like that. But mainly when I'm kind of like writing or pitching stuff right now, it's been a lot of like pop EDM stuff. Okay, cool.
0: And yeah, that's primarily why I'm having you on today for licensing. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But you also run Neverland Retreats, which is epic. (laughs) I've been been on the site for, oh man, I was on there for like 30 minutes just scrolling through stuff, looking at people's reviews, looking at the videos. It sounds amazing. Can you get into that just a little bit? Because I think Neverland Retreats is something that... Every, any producer should be doing. Honestly, anyone who's involved in music, especially pop or EDM, I think can learn a lot from
1: that retreat and what you give to it. Yeah. So, I mean, basically it's a company that me and my uh, co-business partner started and we run it out of uh, – we, we do events in Costa Rica in this little surf town called Nassara. And what we're doing is we'll fly in kind of like music execs, like platinum songwriters, producers, Grammy winners, things like that. And we throw like a week-long workshop in the jungle on the Pacific coast, which is amazing. Like you're literally in the jungle. So you're going to see like iguanas, you know, tarantulas. If you go on the boat, you'll see like dolphins and whales and stuff. It's crazy. And it's a small intimate group of about 50 people that we kind of pick um, from the applications we get because it is like a screen process. We want people of a certain caliber of talent to be out there with the mentor so we feel like they're not wasting their money or time and the mentors aren't wasting you know their time as well once you get that group together it's just it's amazing dude so like uh over the we've been running the company for about five years now and over the five years we've had about like i think the number is about 16 or 17 people either like get placements from there or sign a management deal or sign a publishing deal or something of that nature, you know? So it's been pretty successful since we're on the EDM thing. Like the last one we just did, we had uh, Nicholas Furlong out there who's worked with like Avicii, Steve Aoki, all that. And he was just super awesome, like writing songs with people. We were going on adventures, like going ATV and in the mountains and the jungle. So it's, it's definitely an out of the box kind of workshop. It's way different from something you'll find like an ASCAP Expo or ASCAP Expo or, um, you know, any of these other kind of conventions where you're just, in a hotel doing panels for hours and then you know that's kind of it maybe there's like a party afterwards whatever but there's usually so many people you don't get that like one-on-one time like like we do here we're basically all living in this hotel that we buy out for the week so it's just anyone that's at the hotel is part of our group it's it's a pretty awesome experience now you know we're we're doing another one coming up in november we have andrew gold from uh downtown music publishing he's like the vp of a and r for north america there he's back he came the last one had so much fun that he's like hey man uh, I would love to come to the next one, and I'll probably bring out some A-list oh. songwriters. So it's started at the point now where it's like people are advertising it, you know, for us on our right. behalf and bringing their friends out there that are like these other, you know, platinum songwriters, execs, and whatnot. So yeah, dude, it's, it's been amazing. It's just catching like wildfire. I love
0: it. I I love the idea and the process behind it all. It's yeah. it's awesome to get a group of musicians together and stick them on an island. <laughs> and be like all right let's let's learn some stuff and let's work together and what's great about it too is the fact that there are days where you guys are getting together and you're writing songs so you're learning on the you're not just learning from these panels that you're doing in these uh lectures it's on top of it after that you guys are going to get together and we're all going to play some instruments and we're going to record some shit and make something up and like i was saying to you like a couple of weeks ago that is how you write a hit song yeah. you pull these musicians together that are very talented and they go oh what do you know well i know how to do this what do you know and you guys come together and you just write something that is so unique i'm sure it gets done quick too cuz it's just such a relaxed
1: environment very creative everyone's just chilling and the great thing about it is it, it tends to happen organically like yeah. honestly this this last couple of years we we've never really had like a Formal. Uh, okay, at this time we're gonna sit down and do like a songwriting thing. It's just people hanging out by the pool or in the jungle or going on tours, whatever. And then they just connect and they're like, "Hey, man, let's write a song." And so this last one we did, people were up to like two or three in the morning, just in the hotel rooms in various sessions, just jamming out and writing songs, like with Nick. And then we had Al Sherrod Lambert, who's um he's produced like on the first two Ariana Grande albums, and he's worked with like Kelly Rowland and a bunch of other big names. You can go look him up, check check his credits. But those guys were just so awesome and humble. They're like, hey, let's just write some songs with you guys. And it, just such an organic process to where it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm at this workshop, so I have to, like, hang out with the attendees and write songs. Like, they were the ones offering be like, let's just jam, dude. Mm -hmm. You know,
0: like, it was so cool. And that's what's great, too, is just to be able to jam. No goal in sight. It's just let's go in, let's write a song and have fun. Just Jam out, we'll see what we put together. And I'm sure it just, yeah, it's very organic. Everything just flows and it's super nice. And what I was also talking to you about, what I love is so not only with when you write a song with someone, it's very in it's an intimate feeling. You're you're in an intimate space with each other, and you guys are kind of you're you're opening up a side of you that most people probably don't see. And even more so when you guys are doing your quote unquote adventures, yeah, which, yeah. can you get a little bit more into that? Because I think all of this bonding experience is you get to know these people over the week, you write some music with them, and then you're going on these adventures and maybe overcoming some fears and it builds this relationship that you will never forget. And now you've grown your network and not just a network, you've created
1: a family and friends, that will come together when the retreat is over oh 100 i mean so so some of the adventures um that we actually have scheduled i guess that you can do is take a horseback ride through like the actual jungle like going up in the mountains for a couple hours and what else we have we have zip lining through the jungle which is great and then the main one that people like to do is the atv tours which are awesome because you're literally just shredding it on a four-wheeler through the jungle going up the mountains and stuff which is awesome and it's right, like you build those genuine experiences. It, it's 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 hard to, I guess, experience it unless you're there because it's not like doing a tour here in the States where it's all, all right, formal and regulated and we got all this. You're literally in the jungle. And so you're sharing on this adventure, like a story I have is like me, Nick, and one of the other attendees, um, this last one, we were just like, dude, let's just go ride the ATVs in the dark in the mountains and let's, <laughs> let's see what happens. And we're like, okay. So you're just riding like, you know, in the dark in the mountains in the jungle with all you got to your little ATV headlights. And, you know, it's like pitch dark. There's no streetlights there right. in the jungle. Um, so it's cool things like that or you know some people will talk about like, oh man we got caught in the rain because you're again you're in the rainforest. it could rain, it could be sunny all day and then rain for like 20 minutes in the thunderstorm. So people will be like, oh, we got caught in the rain you know with all these people and it was a crazy time and you know storming a storm hard, but it's just like so fun you don't think about like it's not here in the states like when you get caught in the rain, it's an inconvenience almost being one with nature and building those bonding experiences with people you are and it puts everyone on a level playing field like you may be hanging out with some platinum producer but if we're all if i'm stuck in the rain you're stuck in the rain like we're just hanging out like now we're just chilling
0: that's how you build long lasting relationships and you're you're there for five days
1: uh five nights six days kind of total and i mean uh for example like you, you mentioned about the bonding relationships i mean literally this week i had one of the attendees from our last last year november event come into town and he was uh he's just traveling around and he's like hey i'm gonna come through austin i'm like dude great uh, he stayed at my place one night, and then one of the other nights he was here, I invited him out to the studio on the lake because we had a big Fourth of July party. And, I mean, even last night, I was texting with one of the attendees from last November about uh, going to Nashville to visit her and, like, writing some songs. So you're generally building relationships with people not just from the U.S., but literally all over the world. Like, the guy who came in, he's from New Zealand. So we it's it's crazy to see how... how the company has has gone from the first year was just kind of our friends locally in like austin and san antonio and around texas area to like now we're getting people from like you know germany new zealand canada it's literally a worldwide thing now where people are coming in so it just kind of blew my mind on top of
0: that too is when you're working with these big artists or even up-and-coming artists who have you can see that they had there's a big opportunity there. they're gonna be someone who Is probably going to be full time with music or they're going to they're going to write great music that a lot of people are going to enjoy. When you build relationships with those kinds of people, they help build you up, too. I mean, if if you're a smaller artist and you're working with them or let's say you're both on the same playing field, but one blows up, that person's probably not going to forget about you especially if you're staying in contact with with them and you have a good relationship with them you just help build each other up which is extremely important in music i think it's extremely important in pop and edm because you don't see that a ton um you do see there are kind of people can butt head sometimes and get jealous because one person is bigger than the other or someone knew them when they were smaller and they feel like there's a lot of entitlement and so it's great if you can build these relationships and you have these people that really help each other build each other, especially like you're saying, if there's a platinum artist there that goes, oh, you want to go write a song with someone who might not have any credits, but they're like, yeah, let's go fucking write a song. And you jam with that person. and They're like, you are fucking great. Yeah. They might bring you on for a project. Next thing you know, you
1: could sell a platinum record. So it's, I mean, we've had uh sync opportunities, which I'm sure we we'll are get to later, but like just for example, so me and my business partner, we do a lot of sync stuff and so two of the attendees from one of our past event, and he was looking for a certain sound and a certain type of production. And so he brought in... And this was, like, months after the event. Like, he's like, hit them up because they happened to be in L.A. They were traveling. And they ended up, I think, writing, like, two or three different songs, whatever. And those songs are getting placed, like, on shows for Fox. They're getting placed on stuff for sports things, like... And so like, they're generally like making money because of that connection they had with my business partner who was there. Cause he, you know, we all met there and he liked them and he happened to be in LA at the time. So it just worked out. It's like planting seeds. You're planting these relationships, these seeds. So any of the, uh, people that have gone in the past, pick up the phone and call me. I have no reason not to pick up the phone and be like, how can I help you? Like, what are you working on? Well,
0: and that, that's super important too. Especially if you're running a business is if yeah. you have, cause I mean, you, basically have clients coming in and doing your workshop and it's important for you to help them however you want if you are putting your hand out and you're reaching out and saying hey i can help you out with whatever you need let me know and they take the time you even take the time to help them out they're gonna tell even more people about it they're even more excited for the next retreat to go to and it just it builds this bond that they appreciate everything that you're doing and they see yeah. that they see that you're actually wanting to help them especially if they're a smaller artist yeah. they're so much more appreciative of that and uh that that's it's very important when you're running a business like that to have that kind of relationship i think it's important for producers to you know um, have that connection with like fans a lot of a lot of producers are separated from their fans but if you look at Dylan Francis I mean he's so good at creating great content to consume for his fans that's and he brings you into his life and his world and opens it up a little bit more and it makes you feel connected to him so much more. You, like, you feel like you know Dylan Francis just by... If you sit on his Instagram yeah. for an hour, you're like, oh, I know exactly who this kind of guy is. I could totally get along with him. Um, and actually, on my last episode, I had my buddy uh, Richie from Sixth Street Music, and he, he does Twitch streams. He's monetizing his Twitch streams, which is incredible, and he's just doing feedback. So... He's created this community of not just fans, but producers that come in on Sunday, Tuesday and Friday, I believe it is. And they just send their tracks into him and he gives them feedback and he, but he creates this environment of like this welcoming environment where he wants to help you. He calls you by your name and it's, it's just, it's very welcoming. It's super nice. And he's connecting himself to his fans in a way that most producers don't even think to do or care for
1: right so it's it's crazy bring that up so my business partner actually does that he has like his whole other company he runs on the side besides this one and he's very more like that he's very more on the social whereas i'm kind of like behind the scenes I guess I just I I don't like attention that much but uh, he runs this company called it's on Instagram just music industry contact and he does that like he goes critique sessions he brings on uh, people that have come to our past events like VPs producers and stuff and they do like um, FaceTime video web sessions or whatever you call it you know and they'll answer questions give critiques he also throws like songwriting contests I think like one month he gave like $1500 away just the best song so yeah so he's taking like you know the money he's making from said company and actually giving it back to artists and helping them out. And, you know, so he's doing this great thing. And he does that, like he'll post, you know, tidbits and great content and videos on his thing to, um, you know, just educate, but also just bring awareness to what he's doing as well, yep. you know. I got to get better at it myself. I'm not that Instagram guy so much, but uh, I see the benefits of it since he's been doing it, you know. And even if it's not like a money generating like a specific company at least building the awareness about like what i'm doing so maybe i can potentially get like bigger clients and more work you know what i'm saying just so people know what you're doing it's like that thing what's that saying um out of sight out of mind and that's Purposely, why I take flights to you know New York or LA on the regular just so I stay in front of people. Mm -hmm. Whereas they see you, yeah, I need to be doing that more on social. Just even myself, you know, I'm I'm headstrong
0: about this creating, all about creating content. My Instagram, I'm posting three times a week, and I'm actually I did an episode uh, episode three about branding, and it's pretty mostly focused around Instagram, how to brand yourself on social media, and um, you know, I just hit a brick wall uh, last week on shit I think Monday or Wednesday where I think I just got shadow banned dude it is the worst Instagram's algorithm is fucked up for businesses because I'm in a very niche audience I'm help I'm all about helping producers so the things I'm posting on and specifically EDM producers so it's I mean, I I can't niche down any further than that unless I went to a specific subgenre within EDM, and I'm not gonna do that because then I'm too niche down. So my issue is, I've there are. There's how many hashtags can I do for producer and EDM or EDM producer? There's not many. And so that's who my that's who I'm cornering. So when I have a topic that I'm posting about on Monday, Wednesday or Friday, I have these specific hashtags and I may repeat them. Instagram's new algorithm is detecting those repeated hashtags Uh, and they'll fucking shadow ban you. So they basically block you out from hashtags. So, only the people following you are gonna see your post. Uh... No one who you post, your post isn't gonna show up on hashtags. So, recently I've noticed my reach on my hashtags has been significantly reducing in the past two weeks. I was hitting like four or 500 people on hashtags all of a sudden it dropped to like 60 and i was like oh, what wow. the fuck is going on here now 0 wow. not a single person is getting seen on the So these when headphones. does that
1: come off like when is that
0: I so there's there's some there's some things you have to do to kind of counter it one you can reach out to them and see what they say is causing it there's other posts of like you need you need to be communicating with the community more so go into those uh, hashtags right. and talk on people like basically comment on things follow more people so if you're not following enough people because you need to be active engaging other than just, basically. yeah you need to be engaging more than just posting content and making it just about you so i've been going on and i've been following more people i've been commenting on more stuff liking more stuff um and that does help to actually get you new followers too i've right. noticed that um but then there's other things like stop using hashtags altogether for a little while as well as like deleting some hashtags. So I got to test some things out and play with it and see if I can get it fucking reversed. But this is the wall that I've hit and it's, it is branding on social media and just posting on social media is difficult. It's not easy. Facebook's fucked because they won't reach you to anyone unless you pay. Instagram's difficult because of their algorithm is so tricky and you can't have too many words on your posts. And then you can't be using too many of the same hashtags. You can't be using too many hashtags period. There are so many rules involved with all this shit that it's very difficult to grab your corner of the market and keep it. But once you get it, it's easy. Cause once you have that corner, once you hit that 10,000 dedicated actual followers, it's easy. You get hundreds of likes. People are consuming your content. What's difficult is this start, like when you're starting out, because I'm just about to hit 300 followers on Instagram. Right. Those are true followers. Those are people right. who aren't just following and unfollowing. Um, those are people who consume my content. They save my posts. It, it, like I get more saves than likes recently on my posts. Oh, for real? So yeah, people will <laughs> save it. The, they'll so be I mean, like, I like good, this. You're
1: dropping good tidbits. And if people want to yeah. save it, and come
0: back to it. Exactly. So that's, and that's how I kind of base all of, my post out I know if a post is doing well if it's getting saves because saves mean oh this is content that people like they want to come back to it and even if they don't follow me now they might come back to the post later and go let me click on this profile and they're gonna go oh shit there's like there's a hundred posts here that are nothing but tips and tricks I'm gonna follow this guy and it just kind of snowballs from there Um, but yeah it's you know it's very difficult to figure out what you're gonna post being consistent with the times you're posting and it, it, there's a lot involved with it. It's a process. I've been running my Instagram for almost a year now and I'm finally understanding. I fucking hate Instagram. I never used it prior to a year for a year ago and I'm finally starting to kind of understand it. But as, as soon as you understand it, they change the algorithm. Yeah, yeah. So let's, uh, yeah, let's kind of start to transition over into what you do. So you're primarily doing sync licensing or like is there a difference between licensing, sync, I mean, licensing, so what it's are the tiers? Basically,
1: licensing is your, well, sync licensing, whatever to call it. You're just, you know, producing music or creating music for the purpose of singing it, syncing it with, um, you know, moving pictures, TV, film, commercials, whatever. Or you can also sing to like, uh, you know, for radio spots or anything like that. You know, it all kind of goes in the same thing um but that's mainly and i and i still do like uh stuff with like labels overseas like we've done stuff with like spinning and you know um like trap nation and strange fruits and all that stuff but i would say the majority of the money i've made with music is definitely from licensing and uh, you know reason being is just because you get like upfront sync money like if they're gonna like place it in the movie or place it in tv thing usually um as long as your contracts you know pretty good whatever you're going to get like money up front and they're going to pay whoever owns the master they're going to pay whoever owns the composition part so it's like two parts uh most places that i've dealt with want to do what's called like an like an all-in buy i think i think the term is for and it's basically they're going to give you like one lunch one lump sum of money to cover both ends and just split it you know 50 50 for both whatever you want to call it so it's it's pretty good man there's so many like library agencies too like licensing agencies that you can pitch your music to um and then they'll, you know, obviously they're going to take a cut, but their job is to basically just go. Their team is all day just pitching it to TV shows, pitching it for movies, pitching it for ads. And then, you know, they'll give you your revenue and then, you know, they'll keep a little for themselves, whatever, whatever the contract is. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there like uh, just name a few like that I've worked with is like First Calm, West One UK. Um, my friend, my business partner works with Position Music a lot. Um, I worked with Spirit Production Music. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had placements. That are still generating money from like years ago. Like, I mean, songs that I've made that are still getting plays today. Like, I mean, a lot of. Yo,
0: yeah, what are your, What are Can you let the listeners know about some of your credits? Yeah. Because your credits are fucking unbelievable. <laughs> First of all, if anyone's listening right now, just Google Sam Height. Is it Sam? Do go, uh, on Sam IMDb, Height, it's right? Sam Gray. Sam Gray? Yeah, on no, IMDb. Go on go IMDb, IMDb look up Sam Gray, G A R A Y, right? Yeah. Uh, G A R A Y look at his
1: fucking credits because they're ridiculous i mean i've done like stuff for netflix for the chelsea handler show i've done chops you know keeping up with kardashians we play some a lot of like sports stuff like surprisingly some hip-hop tracks we've done have been played like a lot in golf which is crazy like year after year dude i always get like i see golf show up but it's crazy um <laughs> i've done uh me and my best partner have done some stuff for universal last year we did the ending score for that movie dark web unfriended um, I did some music for uh, another horror movie that came out last year, Lionsgate. Um, Hellfest uh, uh, came out on CBS Films, Lionsgate, and was in the theaters. So it's cool to like get those. I like I kind of like doing those custom gigs where they hit you up and like, hey man, we need things specifically for this one movie or for this one thing or like a score or, or a theme song. You know, we've done theme songs as well too for shows. um Because I, I don't know, it kind of like you're catering to what the director envisions and I like being part of that creative process. And don't get me wrong. I like making the other songs that are kind of more general because those can be placed across like what the fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like some of these songs I've had have been, you know, like I said, I've made them maybe five, six years ago and they're still getting placed today over various platforms, whether it's, you know, some show on Bravo or some show like on Netflix or something, you know, so it's just generating income, which is great Mm -hmm. With,
0: with producers. I think they need to look more into how do I, how do I take my song and how can I make that more passive? How can I make a song and it? I mean, and obviously a lot of producers, they, what they envision is, Oh, I just make one hit song. It's going to give many million plays on Spotify. I'll blow right. up and that's how I'm going to make my money. Or, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, a song will blow up and I'll start going on tour and that's where I'll make a lot of my right. money. And yes, that is true. That can happen. It Definitely. has happened. And a majority of Touring artists, they make their money from tour. They get a big chunk of money for their shows. But getting into that that corner of the game, of yeah. the market, is very difficult. And a lot of producers don't start out or they don't make it just by that. They right. they figure out how can I take what I'm doing in the studio and make every little bit passive income? How can I can I write a song and license it? Because if you get into that headspace. Yeah. You start to spread your cards out. You're not relying on just getting a song to blow up and hoping for the best, or you're not relying on the next tour, possibly if that's ever going to come and you're, because if you're so focused on getting the next song to blow up, so that you can go on tour, you're gonna waste ten years of your life. <laughs> you may
1: never get there. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, before you get, in, I guess something else, man. Just I know you mentioned streaming, and yeah, the, the sh- unless you own the masters on streaming, like you're not really making a lot. Like that's what no. we're fighting for now, in, in yeah. Congress and all that is trying to get like more money for writers and publishers and all that stuff. Like. You know, you're making that's why these labels are winning with the master stuff, because they own most majority of the time based on the contracts, they're going to own the masters or whatever, you know, so they're going to make exponentially more than the writers are are for these songs are making. So like literally six, seven times more. That's not an exaggeration. That's just actual fact. That's what the numbers are looking like, you know, so I can tell you, like I've had EDM songs that have streamed millions of plays on Spotify and those checks are like not that not that big. They're not as big as you think they would be. You know, same thing on YouTube. They're not as big as, as you think they would be, even when it comes to the licensing thing. Like, you know, we had lunch last week and I showed you like some of my statements from, you know, that that Chop Show, for example, that streamed, I forget how many times on Hulu. I think Hulu. it was 89000 thousand. Eighty, Yeah, some crazy amount like that on Hulu. And it was like pennies. Yeah. It was a penny. My fucking jaw dropped. Yeah, now full disclosure on that song, I don't I own, I think I own like 10% or something of that song. But- compared to what you make on that same song when it airs on TV, like with the show Bravo is, is you know, more. So that's considered like a broadcast play or whatever versus a streaming play. So that's what I'm saying. Even the streaming number affects not just regular songs. It affects like the licensing things. I did a show, I did a music for that, uh, for a show on Netflix, and I thought the, the back end was going to be pretty decent. And then I got my ASCAP statement, you know, for the performance, whatever part of it. And I was like, oh, this is nothing at all. Like, yeah. you know, so that's why we're fighting so hard on that thing that's a big point and that's why i want to go into it because it it generally does affect like your bottom line as a songwriter you know yeah
0: i well i think this is a very important point to make at the especially now kind of at the beginning before we get into things and well and that's why i'm saying like you that this is the point of the podcast is i want to bring these people on who have monetized these things um whether it's a shit ton of money or just a little bit of money it doesn't matter because if there's any money involved if you spread your cards out ap- across all of these things and you're consistent with it all the income builds up over time right. the pennies will build up if you because if you're relying just straight on like i said you're trying to be a big producer you just rely on trying to make a big hit song and then you get a tour you could waste all of this time when you could be kind of spreading things out and generating all types of yeah. different income so that boom You can focus more on that trying to make a big song and get that tour going if you have the, if everything else is funding that. So it's, it's very important to make these points. Now with streaming or I guess
1: licensing, you're not making a majority of your money through royalties, correct? Um, I mean, it depends. Like, if you do a theme song for a hit show or something that just takes off and is broadcast on, like, primetime and stuff like that, you can make some dough. Like, one of my friends, Adam Zelkine, he he's a award-winning ASCAP writer for... I think he made, like, the most money, like, two years in a row or something. He did a bunch of the music for um those shows like flavor of love and all that for vh1 and you know like during that time in the early 2000s or whenever it came out and he straight told me like i I won't put his business out there but he he made a lot of money like a lot of money i've been to his house and it's ridiculous so i've seen it firsthand and he's just told me he was like yeah dude i didn't even think like that was possible you know but it's also crazy because he owned he got to keep the writer side and I think the publisher side. You know, I think whoever he was working with on the show just maybe wasn't aware of like that that money was. Now, whether that was for like every song, I don't know. But I know he mentioned it maybe like a couple that he got to keep, if not all. You know, I can't remember the conversation, but he he made a, a, a crazy amount. You can go look at some of these articles about like how much the Friends theme song made, how much like Seinfeld. Seinfeld. So it just depends on that placement. It all comes down to how many times is it airing? It, what kind of is it on like a broadcast channel like NBC, ABC, or is it... Is it during prime time? Like once you start getting your ASCAP statements or BMI or CSAC, whoever you're with, it kind of shows it, it breaks it down to certain tiers, I guess you want to say, of or they call it credits and ASCAP at least of how much that is worth for being played for that time for however long they use it, all that stuff adds up. So, but no, you can make, you can make money, dude. I know people who do sync and that's all they do and they live. Very, oh, very, very comfortable. Royalties? Well, off the sync fees too. Okay. Like, so the sync fees is where you can make a lot up front. Uh, one of my friends did like uh, music for, I think it was a Lincoln commercial or whatever, some car company, I can't remember offhand. And he was, you know, 50, 50 K. Uh, is sinks. that basically like the upfront? Yeah. That's what's okay, called Okay. So, fee. and that's,
0: and that's why I was going to kind of, where I was kind of taking this is I, I assumed you didn't make a ton off of the royalties where you really made your dough was that upfront fee. Where you go, okay, the, it'll fifty grand for this commercial, and then whatever royalties after that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just on the back end, it just varies again by what it's going to be used for. Da 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 da. But I mean, some of these national campaigns that are, you know, we get briefs. You know, this is a partner for stuff there. So I don't, I don't know what I can like put out there. I guess. But let's say. I recently got one for like a furniture chain that was looking for a new jingle for their one of their new campaigns, whatever, and the amount was like forty K. And then I have no idea what the back end would have been because I just I'm sure they would have showed it during like during the day on TV commercials, on internet, on radio. So that would have been something probably well a nice chunk yeah. of change too, you know, well checked. But yeah, I think people kind of sleep on sync licensing, you know, because Maybe they don't want to be deemed as like, oh, selling out or being too corporate or whatever you want to the cause may be. Or they just don't know like how much money is actually involved in it. Like there's a lot like, uh, again, I don't want to put my like any my friend's business out there. But I know uh, a producer friend of mine who worked on a big record, big record for, uh, you know, uh, a major artist. And it ended up being synced for like movie trailers Damn. and like commercials. Ooh. And he told me every time it got synced for like a movie trailer, it was like $300,000 or something. Because it was like a huge, huge record. Yeah. And so, obviously, that money gets split between all the writers and everything. And so, he was like, yo, that record changed my life. And this is why I wanted to have you on. Because,
0: honestly, I don't think producers understand this. Mostly EDM producers. Here's the thing is, if you're in L.A., you might know all about this. Right, right. Because it's so much film hub. Yeah. Most people in L.A. are trying to be somewhat in the entertainment business, especially if you're a musician. You want to be in that world. So, you probably know somewhat about it. but. That's a very small majority of EDM producers. Uh, They're spread out across the entire world, all over the place. The Netherlands is like the EDM (laughs) hub, and I guarantee a lot of producers don't know
1: a ton about sync licensing because they're just not involved in that world. I mean, here's something that I guess your listeners could... I mean, I'm assuming your listeners probably be like up and coming EDM producers Mm -hmm. or trying to get into it or break into it, however, how. So they can build like a compilation, you know, EP or album of maybe like five or ten just strictly instrumental songs if they want you know just whatever and then they can approach these companies that i spoke about like uh position music first com um west one uk all these and just kind of hit them up and a lot of these companies do have a submit form or something you go on there and you know it may take a little bit for them to get back to you or whatever they may not respond at all if it's not what they're looking for but they may do a thing and i've done this before early on in my licensing career too where we'll do like a compilation album of like maybe just 10 hip hop songs or something. I worked on a project with some people. We did 10 hip hop songs. They wanted like American hip hop Mm -hmm. is what they called it at Mm -hmm. the time, you know? And I'm still getting royalties from that. And so they'll buy rights to the album or work out a deal where they own part of it or something, you know, because obviously they got to get their cut for doing all the admin and pitching it and doing all that stuff. Um, But that's something that you're, listeners could do is i would definitely first build the work so that way you can at least send it to them and, be, and see if that's what they're looking and for good good work yeah it's important quality work and then also yeah. you don't want to put your name on something that's not quality because those
0: people will see your name and they won't respond to you ever yeah <laughs> if you send in i guarantee you send in three bad songs in a row they're going to be like yeah don't even open up their exactly emails. so make sure it's fucking your best work yeah. and it's like Get the okay from multiple producers like, oh yes, this is shit that could be played out there. And even if someone, let's say someone did take it and it's not a good song and you hear it on a big fucking project for some reason, who knows why, or they're making fun of it somewhere and your name is associated with that, that's not a good place to be either.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's like build, build a quality of work you know, definitely. I mean, you have to think especially in the music licensing world, things move can move pretty quick, like once you kind of Get in there. So, everything you deliver has to be top quality because I've been in situations before where they're looking for a song and they need it by tomorrow. Mixed, mastered. It's like literally they're dropping it in the edit bay. And that's how you want to approach these companies, especially if you're new. You want everything to sound like it could be on TV or a movie right now, today. If they have to drop it in, it's already mixed, mastered, whatever, ready to go. And then the other thing too is learn how to make variations of that one song. So, like a lot of things I'll do, some of these libraries, they want like, okay, we got the full two, two, three minute, four minute song, whatever. Now, can you make us like 30 minute or 30 second stingers or edits of it? 15 second stingers or edits or a minute long stinger edit of it. And it, it, like that is kind of like, um, I guess the best way I could say that is like if you watch reality TV, you kind of hear like those transition songs in the background or like those little quick clips of tension building for 15 seconds and, right. then, and it goes on the next scene or whatever. Like those little edits too can add up money wise so you just never know but if you learn how to do those then you're already an asset to them too because they don't have to be like oh we don't have any 30 second variations of this song we're not going to take the time to edit it we're just going to go to somebody else and get that you can be
0: working for these sync contracts while you don't actually have a sync contract so you want to be thinking like you could say in a week i'm going to make five to ten songs two to three minutes four minutes and then like you're saying these little intermittent suspense clips that are just 30 seconds long if that and just build up this back library yeah because then you have if you have a back library of 50 of these songs ready to go as soon as someone comes to you and they're like we need this tomorrow oh don't worry i've got got it it. give me 10 minutes i'll send all the stuff over to you you're done and those people are going to look at you and go this is our guy he's fast he's efficient he's got great stuff and they don't know that you're they don't know whether or not that's a back library or you just came up with that
1: on the yeah, spot. Yeah, to them it's new. You yeah, know? exactly. I mean, I, and I'm doing, it's funny you mention that I'm exactly in the process of doing that. Now I'm going through a lot of my back catalog for stuff that I haven't, that's not signed anywhere or signed to any agency or whatever. And just doing that kind of, if I feel like it's a little dated right now, I'm modernizing it and then making those edits, mixing the master and it just so I have it ready to roll. dude. Yeah. And then I'm still like pitching some of those works to libraries and mm-hmm. stuff. And you know, it's 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 always a hustle game they might yeah. be like oh you know we're kind of maxed out with edm tracks right now then i'll go to one of the other libraries and they'll be like hey guys you need and to me it's just bad catalog i did it before i'm just touching it up and trying to just get it out there so i can make some money you know so you just never know like that movie i did hellfest last year all that was was i think literally a two minute cue, and it's oh, just an instrumental and Easy. now it's on a major motion picture and i'm gonna you know they gave me a, a sync fee that was pretty nice and Now I'm going to make money on the back end from it. Easy. Yeah, it's easy. It took me like an hour to knock out, like just during lunch break one day. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah, so producers, I know you've got hundreds of projects that are unfinished because we've all been there. I (laughs) still do. I mean, I'm not producing as much, but I've got so many just... Like three weeks, I was just going through my projects from years ago. I was like, "Oh, this is actually a good song. I kind of want to do something with this." Go into those, Mm -hmm. fix them because you've learned a lot. If take a song six months ago, I guarantee you've learned so much more. Go in there, edit them, maybe make it shorter, turn it down to two to three minutes. Um, Modern, if it's a couple years old, yeah, if it's dated, modernize it, get it mixed up and mastered, and. Put it into your back catalog. A track that would take you six, eight, ten hours to create just took you an hour to just clean up, right? And you're good to go. And and now you're recycling your projects. And there might not be projects you would ever post out there or would send to a record label, but you can fix them now and put them in your catalog.
1: And yeah,
0: you can kind of get
1: the ball rolling on this. Yeah, and some people. So it was you mentioned about not maybe wanting to put it out or whatever. So some people I know that are. You know, artists and they have like a genuine artist career that they have a certain kind of theme or song type that they write under. If they're, if they want to do licensing and they don't want to do it under the same name, they'll just create like another, uh, what's the word, like pseudonym or whatever you want to call it, like, and just do it under that, you know? And so that kind of solves that problem, I guess. And they're still getting money. Yeah. So then they can focus like on their true artist career, what they want to do versus kind of just writing for TV and film and then some right. people just write a dope album and a, a, a sync company will approach and be like, "Hey man, we want to sync your stuff cuz the album's so great." Fuck, look at Daft Punk.
0: Yeah. Or like there are specific artists that will get hired to write the exactly. soundtrack for a movie. Daft Punk got hired to write Tron. They wrote yeah. every single piece in that movie. You know how much fucking money they got from that? Probably oh my god. Crazy go- amount. Crazy probably amount. I guarantee hundreds of millions for the upfront fees. And then on top of whatever they're getting in the in the back. Because that shit is getting... Stri- oh, my...
1: It's a crazy... I don't know if it won't look like 100 millions, but... I, mean, I don't
0: know. It's Disney. It is Disney. And it's Daft Punk.
1: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if the number would be that high for sync fees, but it would be... It's. I mean, it's. I'm sure it's probably breaking a million. Probably tens of millions or whatever. It, they... I guarantee they made... A retarded amount yeah, of money. Yeah, I mean, it. oh, they made a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Like that's especially like your licensing out, and then I wonder what the back end deal looks like too. Like, do they get to keep the publishing, or does Disney keep it? You know, like there's so many variations. I, I bet Disney keeps it. Yeah, I well, bet they or at least so they let's, fight. To that's another it. thing too. Let's talk about that. So, I mean, sometimes when you do like hired gigs for, um you know, film or uh, commercial or whatever, yeah, like they're gonna they're kind of privy to that, so they're gonna put in like, well, you keep your writer share. And we'll keep the publishing in. They try to do this
0: 50 50 split. Yeah,
1: you know it's a 50 50 thing, and some library agencies do that too. Like they'll be like, all right, well we're gonna we'll split everything 50 50. Like you know we'll. We'll split the sync fee for the masters up front, and then we, we keep publishing, you keep writer's share. So it just depends what you negotiate or who you're working with or what kind of contract you get. Like, there's always, you can always negotiate everything. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say
0: you, actually, let's let's go back to your first, what was your first big project that you
1: got? I would say to me, what, like, what I consider probably one of the first big ones. I've had placements before this for like TV shows and everything like that. But this one is one I actually did with my business partner who I run the Neverland Retreats thing with is, ironically... Uh, we probably did it, like, I don't know, say seven, eight years ago. We did a theme song for uh, a show that was on Oxygen Network. And it was a, a reality show they had on there called, like, Brooklyn 11223 or something. And it was kind of like a Jersey Shore okay, type yeah. show. And so they approached us to do, like, the theme song for that. And it was cool because you would, like, see it on their promo commercials on Oxygen. And then eventually, like, MTV Canada, I think, bought the rights to that show and aired it. So we got to be on that one, too. So that was a nice little... Chunk of change for just a small snippet of song that we had past right right. custom to then, and then we got the ASCAP royalties for that. What I
0: want to talk about is, as a producer, a musician, or artist, I, the the biggest thing you need to learn and understand and know, I think, is negotiating. 100%. Unless you have an agent or a uh, manager, which I don't think they're very. At least a manager is not necessary. I think an agent might be but usually you have a set contract that you set with the agency. So you do need to know negotiating skills and how to get the better end of the deal for yourself because it, it, that's important. They're making plenty of money on whatever project yeah. they're working on. They don't need to screw you over. Did you get fucked over in
1: negotiation for that? Um, not for that one per se, but I, I, looking back when I first started early on, I mean, there were some situations where I'm like, I should have, you you know, you could, you had more leverage, got more money than I did. And I just didn't know the right questions to ask. I didn't really understand licensing at that time. This was like, you know, 10 years ago. So let's, let's get into that because I
0: think that's important. If these producers are getting into this, I don't want to send them in where they go, this is going to be a huge show, whether it is or not, I'm just going to accept whatever the hell they give me because you don't want
1: to walk into that, that mindset because that's how you get fucked over. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing to remember is, all right, how many parts of the song are there when it comes to, like, licensing? You have the master, which is the actual audio recording of it. You have, you know, then the composition part, which is, like, the writing share and the publishing share, kind of. So out of those three parts, fight like, for what you can out of that, you know, in the sense. If you wrote the song, you should never really be giving up your writer share just off the bat. Publishing, that's when there's, like, you know, obviously, whoever's helping you distribute the song or get it out there, a place or whatever, they're probably going to argue for some of the publishing. And that's just. How it is, and then you got to fight for that. But it, it doesn't hurt to just ask. I, we placed a song recently with a label overseas at the end of last year, me and one of my co-writers, and they were trying to like swindle some publishing or whatever. Be like da da da. And all I said was, "Yeah, I'm not giving it." And that was nice. It was literally like a one line email. All I said was like, "Yeah, I'm not going to give you any publishing for this." And then they responded, "Okay." Yeah. And that was it. Like, <laughs> so it doesn't hurt to ask. You you know you're not don't think you're going to look like the bad guy, especially right. if the other party is as business as they should be they're just going to consider it part of negotiations you know? and i think that's what a lot of new artists or upcoming producers or whatever they're just scared to like ask because they don't want to ruin the deal or so to speak whatever and it's just like no like put those things out there like there are times where i've hit up the label and just be like hey man you you said you're gonna like admin publishing on this like where's the check for the publishing we still haven't got it. it's been like literally two years at this point you know or like even for our statements that were due for just the ma- like the master side royalties that we would be getting, I'm like, hey, you're supposed to send it out every quarter. We haven't got it yet. And I would yeah, hit up the other people that. that worked on the songs and be like, hey, did you guys get your part, whatever? They're like, no. And I'm like, okay, so no one's bothered to ask. It's just I'm the only one that's going to speak up for us. I'm like, I'll do it. Like I'm not scared. Like, it's a business deal. They owe us money.
0: Artists, you need to understand this. If you're not getting your check, ask for it. It's your fucking money. There, there's a contract in place for a reason, but- record labels publishing companies they they bank off of you not asking they yeah. hope you don't ask so that and they most of the time they know you're not gonna ask i had my uh my buddy, um, who was on the first episode, he was se- he was making a living just selling hip hop tracks. That's all he nice. was doing was selling them. So just like
1: lease and beats or whatever?
0: Yeah. Awesome. And um he did a song, he did a couple of projects for Universal. One of them I think I don't think has been released yet, but that took I think eight months for him to get the fucking check for that. Yeah. It was ridiculous, and he had to go back and forth with them. Where's the money? Where's the money? Where's the money? And they're hoping you're not going to say anything, and you're just right. going to be like, just take the credit. Like, they're hoping you're just going to take the credit, and that's it. You can't be a coward right. in this business. No. You have to fucking ask for what is yours, and it's the same with negotiating. And like we said, the worst thing they're going to say is no. And if they say no... Well, then you can say no back, or yeah, <laughs> Yeah, or negotiate. It's, negot- it's called negotiating for a reason. Yeah. You're trying to get a fair share... You're all trying to win some way. And if if they're being too difficult, you can, I mean, you can always pull out of it. Or you can say, okay, well, can we increase the upfront fee? Give me more money upfront. And yes, you can take the
1: rights for this section. Keep publishing. I know people that have done that too. They're like, all right, well, if you're going to keep publishing, I need X amount of dollars. My my sink fee increases by two, three times now. And sometimes they've gotten those checks and they're like, oh, okay. Well, here's the thing too, is if you are negotiating that way and going, okay, I
0: want the sync fee to be higher, go so high that it's an embarrassing number. Like it's, you're embarrassed to say
1: the number because exponentially
0: ask for that amount. Yeah, yeah, because this is what's going to happen. They're either A, going to say yes, and you're going to be like, holy fucking shit, I can't believe they said yes to that, or they're going to negotiate lower to what you were actually wanting. Like so a more realistic number. Yeah, yeah. Let's say you're getting like, I don't know, let's say it's a big project or I don't know how what the cost of a big project is, but let's say you're going to get 5,000 for the sync fee and they go... Well, we're we want to take all the publishing rights, but you're trying to take some of them and you go, "Okay, fine, you can have the publishing rights." Say something like, "I need 30 grand." Yeah, something go like that. Go fucking ridiculous yeah. because if you're like, well, I'd like double. I'd like ten thousand. Then if they're gonna take publishing, but you say thirty grand, if they say no and negotiate for a lower number. They might say something like fifteen, and you can go, nah, twenty five. Yeah, yeah. And now you're getting even more than what you thought you would Every, get for just double. Everything's negotiable for sure. Yeah.
1: Uh Question for you for your friend who did the stuff at Universal. I just was it for like a label type stuff or was it for like yeah, a, it was for label. So for I can say artists. from like my experience in the music industry, I've. No, I don't think I've ever had to, when it comes to like a sync fee or something for music licensing or something like that, I've never had to like hound these companies for money. It's only the label stuff, which is crazy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so sync fees, they usually, I mean, cause usually they're paying before it like airs or they're paying like right after it airs or whatever, you know, like that. And I've never had to, yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever had to like, now I've had to go fight with like ASCAP or something to be like, Hey, this show aired last year and I haven't got no royalties from it where's that money at you know i have to go do that like I'll, I'll audit my ASCAP statements and be like I know this air three or four quarters ago and I still haven't got the money or yeah whatever. then you gotta maybe check with like the production company that did it to see if they turn in Q sheets and that becomes a mess but for like the actual like upfront sync fee or whatever I don't think I've ever had to like go hound people for it fucking record labels
0: <laughs> are uh, <sighs> I don't know. It, uh, record labels can be an issue. A lot there yeah. I mean they really like to fuck over artists and it's that's why you're seeing so many more people self-distribute because oh, you, if you self-distribute you get 100% of the yeah. money most of the time depending on what distribution company you're going with. Um and so if you do get that million streams you're getting the full $4,000 yeah. a million streams on Spotify you're going to get the full 4
1: grand that you deserve out of that. So that's that's why self-distributing is very important but and then if you decide to sync it out to something if you own the masters or whatever then you're getting even more more money
0: this is why it's so important to ha- own 100% of your song because you can send that out to whoever the fuck you want depending on what i mean obviously if you self distribute and then go somewhere to try to license it there's going to yeah. be probably a contract involved with
1: that where yeah, you yeah and there's certain terms too so it's it's always just like i mean i can't it, there's not like a blanket statement i can give yeah. for for every company and everything like that so it's just like you can release your album independently. And I mean, there's even companies out there now where if you're, I guess, like a a dope enough artist that they'll kind of partner with you and you'll still get to keep your masters. I think United Masters is a company that does it. I want to say AWOL. I think you get to keep your masters. I'm not 100% sure, but it's worth looking at. And they'll kind of like help you build promotion around you and do other things like that from what I understand, you know? And I think you still would keep the rights to your masters and maybe if they help sync it somewhere, maybe they'll take a percentage of the sync fee or something. I don't know, but they'll look at it. But it's definitely a, a better situ- situation, I think, if you're an independent artist to maybe do that route versus like just immediately signing with the major. And then you don't You know, you're not going to own your masters unless you somehow work that into your deal. A lot of artists are getting privy to that and they're kind of going for that now. Like, you know, like now you have the whole like Taylor Swift debacle with, I don't know if you heard about that, where like uh, the label that she was with sold her masters to Scooter Braun's investment group or something. And because she didn't own Uh her masters for for her first six albums, the label does because they paid to have it produced and all that which i mean that that's that was standard record practice at the time really think about it like the labels own the masters because they're the ones putting all the money to invest and create it like they're hiring the producers and da 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 you know all that stuff so you know but she still owns like her writing part of it the composition part you know unless unless she sold her publishing or Uh something else you know there's she was still own a writer share
0: now do you do any um have you done any radio licensing like uh what do you mean like uh uh, have you done jingles for radio plays oh. or like what kind of is um, is there? I wonder if some maybe of the stuff I've...
1: or I wonder if some of the stuff I've done has been used for radio. I don't think it has, honestly. Oh, I it has. I just haven't noticed. The I have on the no. Yeah, I have no
0: idea what kind of money is still involved with radio because I feel. I mean, radio is just dying.
1: Well, usually if you do like if you sync, you mean for like radio play, or you mean like for like sync for like radio, like for ads and for stuff? for ads oh, okay. and jingles. Well, and... so usually when you do. Um, if you do like something specific for like a jingle for a company or a theme or something like that, like their contract has it majority of the time, where it's all inclusive. So mm-hmm. they're gonna say what rights they want. So it usually includes like radio, TV, web. So I'm sure maybe maybe some stuff I has been on there. I just I don't in it. I maybe just haven't noticed it on the statement or whatever. But usually they buy out the rights for all that in most cases. And then there's instances where like you know you have new technology that comes out that doesn't include it and you have to go back and renegotiate for oh, example if you like that's always oh. interesting too it's like so for example if you go uh, that kind of puts you in a good position though because you can go oh i want a doll
0: a bigger dollar you can amount renegotiate you. especially because you can see how many plays yeah, you've got well you can renegotiate
1: past. or they just won't use it so for ah. example like you remember that show like dawson's creek yeah. back in the day like i don't want to win for my life like that theme song that was like it was hand in hand with the show really so if you watch it now, like on Netflix or Hulu, whatever, you'll, it's a different yeah. whole song because whenever, like, yeah, I think when they negotiated that contract, like there wasn't streaming, there wasn't internet like it was as we know it today. So they didn't clear like that streaming clause in there. So Damn. now they had to like, and I guess by that time the song was so popular because everyone knew it and they were probably like, Oh, we want X amount of dollars if you want to use it for streaming. Nah, fuck that. We'll just get another <laughs> cheaper song or something. Same thing with uh, what was that other show? I think it was uh, Married with Children that oh, had like yeah. that love and like and I forgot who is it like Sinatra? Somebody big I'm like? I'm not that? sure. I can't remember, but um classic song again like that and then the same thing if you watch it like on a streaming service, it's I think it's a different song because of the same situation. So, I think now like people I mean, companies, when we're negotiating those contracts now, we kind of put that clause in there to be like, all right, any future technologies yeah. and stuff, it's going to include that, you know? So that's little things like that, man, you just got to be aware of because that can really change your money
0: in a Yeah. a like, you know? I mean, if you don't know a music lawyer, definitely find someone if you can buddy up with them. And if you have a contract where you're like, hey, would you mind just looking over this? Music lawyers write those music contracts and they will put fishy lawyer fucking wording in there that you might not be able to understand. So if you
1: have someone who can look over it and just make sure you're not getting screwed... Yeah, I mean, you got to think these companies are just like everybody else. Like me and you, they want the the best deal they can get and they're usually going to come out like with the most aggressive deal right off the bat, obviously. And you know if you sign, great. And that was me. Like I said, I learned 10 years ago, I probably got dicked out of some money just because I was like, oh, man. It's I was, an, I was you, so happy that my music was going to be yeah. on TV that I just i didn't know better and i was just like all right cool like luckily it wasn't like a lot of money like it wasn't yeah. like some theme song blew up and i missed out like in a million dollars i mean if i had to put a dollar amount on it I'd probably say maybe a total of like 10 grand or something like mm-hmm. and that's over like years and years and years it's yeah, not like yeah. immediately up front so lesson learned you know for yeah. me i feel like i got off easy over you know a few years period i probably missed out on 10k but you know now i know in the future when it how to better negotiate those deals and stuff so I'm lucky I didn't get like totally just like raped in some deal to where I right. lost out like six figures or something like that you know right right. well and that's why we're having this episode to yeah. teach
0: because I'm sure there's a producer listening who will who might eventually get involved in licensing whether yeah. you know you're going to do it now or in two years but if you have this resource to look back and go oh thank fucking god I listened to yeah. this because you don't I mean running into this blind
1: can be a chaotic oh, mess but even like I mean, you may, producers may get involved with licensing, not even know it in a sense. Like if you sign to like a publishing company, one of their jobs is just exploit that composition. Most publishing companies have a sync department and they're just trying to pitch that thing to whatever, you know, so... You know, it's good just to make good quality music and just get it out there. And until you do have like a publishing team that's working for you, you Mm -hmm. can do it yourself. So what got you
0: started in sync licensing? How did you decide you were going to go into this?
1: Uh, One of my mentors like 10 years ago kind of approached me and was like, hey... This company I'm working with is looking for just like hip hop beats for TV shows. Can you help us out and like write some songs? And I was like, okay. You know, I didn't really know the ins and outs of it again for whatever. So she kind of connected me and I started doing that. Then I saw how kind of lucrative it can be. And I was like, oh yeah, let me do this for a little bit. And you yeah. know, I still do the label stuff as well. Cause I genuinely like making, sometimes I want to make stuff that's not necessarily just geared at licensing. It was that. And then also, like I said, dude, I've never had to chase a, a company for my sync fee. I feel like I can't, if I have, I just can't remember it whereas with dealing with labels dude i gotta like hey where's my check yeah hey, where's my money hey yep. where's the stats for this because i don't trust you you know all those things and also it just moves so quick you gotta think there's new tv shows episodes of stuff being aired every day how many yep. movies are being made here how many youtube shows like you can yeah. license to youtube shows whereas the labels are kind of putting out i mean they're putting out music every day but you gotta think how hard you are fighting for those spots how many are they releasing a
0: day or a week right Cause now you're competing
1: against those producers on the same label who right are, or those teams camps, like that artist's camp and like you know or their publisher or whoever whereas literally and it's not just even us like you can have stuff go worldwide like my songs that i've had with the, i think i want to say it's first com that are west One uk one of those two licensing agencies i'll get my statements and there'll be stuff that's in like a That music will be in Australia. It'll be in Germany. On TV shows that have have synced it or whatever, you know? So it's that. It's not just, like, shows in the U.S. It's a worldwide thing. All over the world, new shows are airing every day. That's endless possibilities for to have your music played in it. Credits. You
0: build up those fucking
1: credits, too. And especially with EDM. I mean, that's just basically... It's instrumental cues, in a sense, you know? So, like I said, go listen to these reality shows and these sports shows and how much... There's music playing in the background, like... I feel like 80 90 percent of the time so just build yeah. those cues up and yep. just have them placed in there dude definitely like, you know like get that get that income while you're waiting you know if you're trying to be like this big touring dj or whatever okay well do this and that like in the connections you make doing sync might actually help you with your career or like i've met people who had big aspirations to be some touring dj or, or whatever and then they start to see how much money they can make on this side and they're like, oh, no, screw that. I'm just going to do this because I can just work at home and just chill out and hang yep. out, you know, because maybe, like, they're in a different place in life. Now they got married, they're kids. They're like, I can just do this and hang out in my home studio and just make these tracks and send them off, and then the money comes well, in.
0: That's exactly yeah. – that was my thought. You know, since 2013, I was thinking, I'm going to be a fucking touring DJ and yeah. all this shit, and that's what I wanted to do. And I got burnt out so quickly. And yeah. I met some more people involved with the industry, and they were telling me what it was like, and I was like, ah, this – doesn't seem (laughs) as glorious as the videos on YouTube at festivals show you. And so I I kind of got tired of producing. You know, I've got a full fucking studio. Producing's always going to be there. I still do produce. Um, It's just more for the love of making music now rather than trying to get all these big fans. And so that's why I started my mixing and mastering company. I can sit at home, work on other, I can still work on badass fucking songs that are dope I can help make them sound even better and work with these great producers and clients all for my home and I don't have to you know I don't have to worry about making sure that 100,000 fans are gonna like my new song that's coming out right that can be very stressful that can I, be not very daunting not everyone's,
1: not everyone's built for that game I know like me I mean we talked about the very beginning of the thing like I don't necessarily like attention for me to be in the spotlight of something is and like you said I have 100,000 or a million fans I'm like I don't know if I really
0: It's a lot (laughs) of pressure. And when those people are expecting your next song to be your best one, it's difficult to get in that headspace of being that creative. And that's how you get writer's block is having this pressure. And when you get to that top tier two, you've got record labels, agents, managers that are breathing down your neck saying, get this done, get this done, get this done. And quickly you realize, wow, what am I doing? Am I even writing music because I like it? Or am I just writing it to appease this fucking person? And you might not even be writing a song you – Give a shit about that's you, and if you're cool with that, if you're cool playing that game,
1: playing those people's games, and being a touring artist, I mean, some people, some people love that life, and there's nothing bad to say about that. Like, that's awesome, I think. Like, we need those people because that's who entertains us. Me, if uh, I don't know, I'm content just like working on things. Like I said, I generally like working on. Stuff for movies or ads or something like that because I'm part of them creating something, like yeah, especially something movies. Because, like, yeah, like being part of that team that's like, oh, I helped do the score for that or I helped do that theme song. Well, or something. And
0: there are people who I'm sure you've Done music for movies in where they fucking that's their favorite movie, and with that comes this is my favorite fucking soundtrack, and you can be a part of that. Like I was,
1: I was really blessed to work on those two horror movies last year because I'm like a big horror movie buff Mm. fan, and so for me to be like able to be involved with, especially that dark web one, because I think oh I think originally was it was unfriended. It came out was the original yeah came out a couple years ago, and then this was the sequel. And i was just such a fan of that movie that for us to be able to do like the ending score for the it's, sequel was dope so what's the
0: process behind licensing a track like what are the what from from the moment you write your song and finish it what did this what steps do you take to get that track licensed what does uh, it look so like? it
1: depends so say for example for that movie like they the music supervisor approached me and said hey we need a certain song that fits this kind of theme here's the here's." the feeling we're going for so it's just really starting from that and creating it and then sending back getting notes and and then obviously finalizing like the, the legal aspects of it like you know we get this you get this blah 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 so there's that way or like i said you can kind of just create work specifically for licensing and then pitch it to agencies and shop them to whoever or just have them in your catalog ready to go so when you, or you do get that email from a music supervisor or an industry connect and they're like hey do you have anything in your catalog that's like this um, You're ready to, you know, you have it ready to ship. I would say like when I'm writing for licensing, there are certain themes that I try to keep. If it's not like an instrumental track, of course, like if it's a song with lyrics, I try to keep certain themes. Coming home is a big theme in licensing because if you listen to like a lot of movies or commercials, you know, they'll have that reminiscence scene about somebody coming home, like maybe from the military or something and seeing their family. Coming home is a big theme right now. Like anything anthemic is just hot. You know, it's always going to be forever hot, like in any thing you think about like a coke commercial or something mm-hmm. or like a world cup fifa type situation yeah. like you know things like that um another one right now that's real big is woman empowerment you know the oh whole yeah movement. so like i've been writing some songs with my co-writer because she's a phenomenal female singer just amazing and so we've been writing things like that because you're gonna get those calls where like hey man we're we need something for this uh female anthem for whether it's a movie or a product or a commercial or something like that. So just to have those, I mean, just go, if you're listening, I would just go Google like common themes used for music licensing. There's like probably between five and 10, like I said, coming home, empowerment, determination,
0: you know, just various kind of like general
1: themes that are always going to be Used right for right, uh-huh. products or or being a rebel like that's yeah. always gonna be used like Mountain Dew or fucking car commercial like right. a Jeep Cherokee commercial. So having those kind of I and mean, when you start thinking like that, you you can you write adhering to those things. Okay, and it might be a thing to where like maybe we have a song that that we just written having a catalog and somebody wants to license it and. It's maybe ninety percent there of what they want, but since now it's now it's an eye for a specific thing, they'll ask us to come back. And since you mentioned the process, they'll ask us and be like, "Hey, can you change like these lyrics to be like this?" Because we want it to ring in the ears of customers that you know this for a certain campaign right. we're working. You know, right. so then you can kind of like fine tune the song for that specific thing if it hasn't been licensed anywhere else and like no one owns the final you know master of it. I guess you want to say so. Yeah, like just go do research on, and just listen. Listen, like when you're listening to commercials and ads and movies, you'll hear like you start to pick it up like second nature, like certain type song types that are being used or whatever. You know,
0: we in our the lunch that we had because we uh, we talked a lot about licensing. Um, One thing I mentioned was Soundstripe. I don't know if you, I can't remember if you were like, oh yeah, I've heard that or not. But it basically it's a site you can put in an application as an artist, and I think you upload your songs there. And I use Soundstripe for the, especially for the theme of uh, the podcast. Um, I pay $15 a month. I can go on there and license any track that I want. That's crazy. And the artists go on there and they can upload their tracks. And I'm not, I don't, I have no idea what the payout is for the artists. Do you know of any other sites like that? Are you involved in any other sites like that? Because um, I think I think there's a big opportunity
1: for um It's uh it's funny you mention that cuz I literally just got like a uh I think like a $25 PayPal payment from some company and I guess I had put music on their site like years ago and I totally forgot about it. I think it's a company called like Micro Audio. And it's I guess it's similar to like what and I just forgot. I got an email and I was like, "Oh, shit, I forgot. That was even on there." Right. Like uh, I and mean, I think it just have that literally that one track on there. But there so micro audio is one. I mean you mentioned that one. Um, you can do packs for like companies like Sounds, I think it's sounds.com and Splice. Splice is a big one that I see. Like people go on there and they'll they'll make packs and um sample packs yeah, and, yeah, and preset then, packs. And they usually get like I've known one of my uh, friends uh, They're a duo, EDM duo, actually, named Bronzewell, and I think they're based out of here. They're out of here in Austin still, and they did a pack for them. And, you know, they kind of told me the financials, whatever, and it was not bad. Like So you get, like, on their deal, you know, you get money up front, and then you get royalties on the back end for how many people, I guess, downloaded or something. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how it works, but that's another revenue stream that, you know, EDM producers can do, build sample packs.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's – I want to get someone on the show who – makes a living or has made money off of creating sound packs and preset packs. Cause again, that's, yeah, that's a whole other field that you whole can get other into revenue that stream you he, can make. And it's a very creative one too. Um, but anyways, cause I, th- I think for EDM producers, there's a good chunk of money to be made in those kinds of sites because yeah. the kinds of people who are going on those sites are other creators. They're YouTube people who, a lot of this stuff they have, they have ads on their videos, so they need to license music in order to put it on their um, podcasts. There, there's a lot of different creators that need these kinds of tracks and it's so much easier to just go onto a site like that, pay $15 a month, license, your track license, a track and you're good to go. That's crazy.
1: I wonder how much the payout is in that.
0: Yeah, how I'm not things. sure. Wow. I don't know, <laughs> but if, the the thing is, is you can have multiple projects yeah. on there that are, I mean, you could, let's say you just put one song on there, but it's used by a hundred different projects. Yeah. So you're getting, that... you're getting a payout for each one of those hundred. But the thing is, is your name is on the track. And if it's a really good track and it's being played on some YouTube fucking stars shit. I And I think a lot of the way it's set up to is some of these songs are independently released too. So meaning like the theme song that I have on my podcast and I think you can look it up on Spotify and actually play it on there. Okay. So basically what that means is if you're an artist, you're wanting to be an artist, you can sign up on these sites, put your tracks on there. Let's say some big YouTube star uses that track. Someone, all they have to do is use, uh, what's it called? um, They can Shazam. They can Shazam your track, find it, now add you to a playlist. Or they ask the creator. They comment on it. Someone knows the song. They post it. And now you're getting hundreds of thousands of plays a month because your song was added on one
1: of these YouTube stars' videos all from
0: just putting it on uh, one of these licensing sites. I mean,
1: yeah, you could think of situations where something, like a song has been in a TV show or film and it blows up because people are like, yo, what's that fucking song? Like, I mean, when you think about, let's take like that Friends theme song, for example, that was just um, the snippet they did for the, for the show and then people liked it so much they had to go back and do a full song for yeah. it. You know, and then it went on the radio, you yeah. know? So you just never know like those situations where it can blow up like that. So you can, like if you're wanting to be an artist, this is why
0: licensing is... I think a field that a lot of producers are overlooking or well, just yeah, don't yeah, know yeah. about. And if they know about it and they can get into it and they can find their corner of the market yeah. and make a good amount of money or at least get connections to be on these big projects that can directly
1: funnel into you yeah. being a full time producer and being a touring artist like you want. You're getting money up front, you know, because you're hopefully you're getting a sync fee and all that stuff. And then you're getting a new audience. So That's, it's like a win win.
0: Do you know about, fuck, I can't remember the name of the damn band. You watch Stranger Things?
1: Uh no, but are you talking about the guys? I think they're out based out of Austin who They're do here, like the, yeah. yeah. Have you yeah. been to their shop? They're no. synth dude. I, they've got a sh-
0: the the I think the head dude in the band or whatever, he's got a synth shop here. Synth oh, shop dope. here in Austin. I mean like if you're gonna go buy a synth there, you're gonna yeah. spend minimum like a grand. Oh shit. They've got a synth in there worth like fifteen grand. They've I got believe crazy it. modular and analog synths. Yeah. It is I mean you go in there and you could just be in there for hours fucking around with these synths. They've that's got crazy. so many. They were, I don't think they were a big band at all, but I honestly they didn't do, know them before stranger things. Exactly. They did the theme song yeah. for stranger things. I'm pretty sure they do the entire soundtrack. Yeah, they so. are like an 80s synth pop, uh, band. So, I mean, that's that right. There is a perfect example of they blew up on the biggest show on Netflix. If you, I mean, stranger things has got to be the biggest show on Netflix and, I mean, I, I'm sure they're making a ridiculous amount of money for royalties. <laughs> so, what would you say to producers who they they're they're buying into everything we're saying? They love it. What's their next step? What do they do? What would you do if you were just starting out, knowing what you know now? I mean,
1: one, if you don't have the work, create the work and make sure it's high quality. And you can go like the crazy thing is you can go on these sites. You can go on I'm pretty sure it's just positionmusic.com or like look up spirit music production music. Um, look up. First Comm and West 1 UK and you can go look through their actual catalogs and this is the same thing a music supervisor would do is they would log on to these sites if they're looking to license stuff from them go through the catalog to find like EDM tracks if they're looking for an EDM queue or whatever and you can see like what they have in their catalog and be like does my work par up to this mm-hmm. is it at this quality or you can be like hey they have a lot of uh, this certain type of EDM genre but they don't have any of this and this is kind of hot right now and email them and be like hey I here's some work that i have at this if this is if you're looking for it you know and approach them like that like that's sometimes what i'll do is i'll see like what don't you have and do i have that already or do i know i can do it really really good and i'll come into that and you just never know like i literally emailed west one uk probably because i did work with them you know like years ago and stuff And i just emailed them recently again and i was like hey guys i have this compilation of like hip-hop Q instrumentals for like reality tv do you guys you know you're interested and they're like ah you know we're kind of full on that right now i'm like all right cool no worries and then literally hit me up like two weeks later, be like, you know what? After all, we might need that. So <laughs> hang on to it. You know, we're about to go on European, which European vacations, like a lot longer than U.S. vacation. Right, so right. like we'll hit you up in like a couple weeks and, you know, just hang on, sit tight. And I'm like, all right, cool. Just from reaching out. And I was cool when they said no. Like some people will tell when they hear no, they get really defensive and yeah. whatever. And I was just like, all right, cool, guys. No worries. Like, yeah. if you have any other things that... And also because I, I've made them money from the first work I did with them. So, like, of course, they're going to be cool with me. Mm-hmm. I like, can be like, yeah, this guy has quality
0: stuff. I, I think that's a – I love that. If it, Think of what they don't have that's hot right now. That's yeah. exactly how so, my, my buddy Danny from the first episode who sells hip-hop beats, yeah. he had like a – he does a lot of tight beat stuff. And he had a, I forgot what rapper he said it was, but he had made a track that was a tight beat for that rapper and it didn't sell a year later the rapper really starts to blow up and boom it started selling off the shelves there you go Producers releasing it out
1: you just you just never know man you just got to always be always be ready and always be so i guess to answer your question i mean the first step is one be able to create said content really be able to do it at a high quality level and if you're not there yet then just really study up on watch YouTube tutorial, study music theory, you know, learn about mixing and mastering. Two is once you have it, then go do your research. What, what companies can I approach? What do they need? Is my stuff good enough for that? And then once those conversations start is three, like really understand the business aspect of it. Like go read articles about music licensing and see if you can find some example contracts online and study what you know, what all those parts are like the master the writing and the publishing share. And then, you know, those tidbits about, like I mentioned earlier, like what aspects of media do I need to learn about? Hey, is, if they're trying to license this, is it going to cover just radio? Is it going to cover just TV? Cause that's a different price. And if it's going to cover all three, like TV, radio, internet and be worldwide versus just be regionally or whatever, you know, so all those things factor into what you should be your price point. Exactly. So that's really, I mean, that's you know build your talent if you're not there yet to do the research and three learn the business the specific acts aspects of what that contract would entail so you don't, kind of don't get fucked over now do you go
0: by sam heights as when you're doing these licensing contracts how do you or do
1: you have a business name uh, I mean, I go by just my legal name because I just do it as a right now. sole proprietorship DBA. Okay, like, so that's so, that was gonna be. My, or, but you are you are sole need prop. to turn it into LLC. You, you probably made. A, yeah, yeah, you need. Yeah, I was. <laughs> <'Cause, laughs> uh, my taxes this year, like especially since I run Neverland Retreats as well with my business partner, I was like, even my CPA was like, yeah, you should like make this. Like it's getting poor, It's getting kind of crazy. I'm like, all yeah, right, cool. You, can, <laughs> you gotta transition
0: to LLC. So that's important too. When you get involved when with these licensing deals make sure you're set up your your registered business you want to be a registered business because it if you're not registered and something blows up then your tax situation can get really fuzzy
1: yeah luckily i mean i was able to write off a bunch of stuff this year because we you know whether it's spending money for music gear or you know the company stuff was helpful and stuff but yeah no i would say from coming from someone who was doing stuff and technically, still is I guess on the on the individual music side as a DBA sole proprietorship, and then we started the LLC for the Neverland retreat thing. I see like all the tax benefits that has for that kind of thing, to where I'm like, oh yeah, now I need to make an LLC, and it just would make my life easier probably. But that's the other thing, like if you're not if you're not running your thing like a business, you should be because yep. that's one of the main things you're gonna get like so many tax be able to write things off, get tax breaks. And if you register yourself as a business, all anything
0: you buy for your production, you can write it all off. You can write your educational books off. There's so many fucking things you can write out, write off as long as you're keeping track of those receipts. Like I do all of my business, through if i buy anything for my business or i receive any money for my business it all goes through my paypal business account all that shit is tracked it's all in there so if i ever if i ever buy something i print out the receipt and I put, or the invoice, and I put it in a specific folder. I have all this shit organized. So once I do get a CPA, I'm good to go. And, you know, I, I wouldn't worry about a CPA. If you haven't made at least minimum
1: $5,000, don't worry about CPA because you, yeah, you aren't going to. It's really just when it starts running into, like, you need someone to help you really go through it. And yeah. I, mean, I, I do yeah. like you, like, I mean, because I, I run the books for our company and I keep it all organized and stuff. To, so when I do bring up this CPA, it's more like, Just her double checking it Mm -hmm. and also like, can you find me some tax benefits that I've maybe overlooked? Keeping your things in order and there's, and there's software and stuff. Like I, we use QuickBooks online for the business.
0: Yeah. That's what I, that's the, no, I don't use QuickBooks. I use, um,
1: uh, GoDaddy bookkeeping. Mm. That one's fucking great. Yeah. I mean, so there's, there's tools out there to help it. And I mean, like you said, like I was able to write off thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just on my personal side for this last year, which helped me save literally thousands and thousands of dollars it is so
0: when you are when you're running as a fucking business and especially if you hit a dollar let's say you start licensing now and you're not registered as a business and or even if you are and you don't have a cpa and you do your first year and you manage to get a big fucking project where you get a forty
1: thousand dollar check you will get fucked so, on taxes so here's here's there's a lesson i learned hard way so i did get like a big first check like you know um, probably eight years ago or something doing this and you probably we, didn't put anything nope, inside yep. nope didn't know yeah. didn't know man didn't know about how the tax thing worked you know because i'm a younger kid and yeah i got some money and you know, when a tax man comes to collect next year, you're like, oh, shit, I owe 30% of that check as yeah. taxes, you know? And yeah. I wasn't keeping tracks of really books, so there's probably stuff I could have wrote off to bring that yeah. balance down, but I just, well, fuck, I don't know where those receipts are. Right. I don't even know where that... I probably paid cash for that shit I have no idea like
0: you, you need to be organized <laughs> it's it's extremely important I know with um, GoDaddy bookkeeping every quarter I get an update on what my taxes because it, it it funnels it connects with PayPal so every penny that goes through PayPal gets thrown through QuickBook or um, go get GoDaddy bookkeeping and then they'll give me an estimate for taxes every quarter if you do a project It's safe to take like ten percent out of that. Put that aside. Yeah. (laughs) Put put that aside into whatever save. Like the other thing is get it. So I have PayPal and a bus and a business bank account, which is basically savings. So I take that. I take a percentage out of my PayPal account every month, and I put that in that savings, and that's just getting thrown in there for that tax season just in case that's my tax money all right yeah. here you go here's your check well if that doesn't come or it's
1: a lot less than i think now you get a big bonus for yep. the end of the year yep yep no that's 100 percent. like in uh yeah i mean that's great like don't don't be like me and learn the hard way luckily it wasn't like a cr- like it was a pretty nice check but it wasn't enough to i was gonna be like oh shit like now i don't have nowhere to live because i gotta pay all this stuff. right but it still hurt my pocket a little bit so i was like
0: oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> Sweet, man. Well, I think that's pretty much it for the most part. I mean, we covered, like, everything... To, uh, at least to get a producer started and kind of what the world of licensing is about. Is there are there any closing words you'd like to say um, about any of it? Or? No,
1: I feel like we covered a lot, man. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, just do research online. Like the the age that we live in now, you can just look up so much,
0: and it's, you got a computer right in your pocket.
1: Yeah, you got the time, whole so. world of information available. Like just go look about licensing. Like I said, go check out those sites, and you can literally look at their catalog mm-hmm. and see the exact same thing music supervisors see. Right. And then just go. Like, when you watch your favorite shows or movies or whatever, like, just look at the credits and Mm -hmm. see, like, okay, who's this person? Maybe they're signed with a certain company or maybe they're working specifically with a certain licensing agency. Let me go research that agency Mm because maybe their sound is very similar to mine or maybe I what they have I can do better you know
0: or if you have something you think you could offer to that person you might be able to
1: find their contact somewhere and reach out to them. oh so that's a good I've actually done that before (laughs) so when you go so when you get something placed uh, I don't know how BMI or CSAC works but in ASCAP you can actually go look at the cue sheets so for example like uh, of a tv show I did like I forgot exactly how I did it but I noticed that a lot of the shows that my music was getting placed on there was another name kit popping up and so I went and researched this guy and he, he owned like his own little independent sync license agency, whatever. And so I just hit him up and be like, Hey man, would you like to collab on some stuff that are done? And he's like, yeah, man, here's terms and things like that. So you can build your network yep. by doing that. And I don't think that actually shows up until you get a placement and then you can look at the cue sheets mm-hmm. and, but it literally shows every other writer, like songwriter who had music in that show. And it's cool. How it breaks it down. It shows you like what uh time code, the, the song aired at how long it aired, but it has like all the writer publishing info. So you can build your network just by that. Like I've done it.
0: Yeah, it's I think that's so building least, your network is very important, yeah. especially if there's a way you can do that um, within the system. Yeah, it, it makes it easier when you're like, I was on this episode, too. And right there, they they respect you a lot more and they kind of trust you a little bit more, yeah. too. There's this kind of like it's almost like you work together, but you don't.
1: Yeah. I mean, at that point, you're not a stranger, you're a colleague. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's super important. Well, do you have anything to plug at all? Is there anything? Uh,
1: I mean, just uh, I would say definitely, man, if you guys are looking to build relationships, like you mentioned, that's that's network is a very important thing. And that's why we started that workshop company. We have Neverland Retreats out in Costa Rica because you're generally going to spend a week with someone who's established in the music industry and can put you in a position to win. So what I love about it too, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, okay.
0: but it's so affordable. Yeah. It's not expensive at all.
1: No, not compared to some... I mean, because we did a bunch of market research before we, we launched and stuff, and compared to some of these other ones, I feel like, one, you tend to get more days, and two, we pay for, like, ground transport and, like, breakfast, lunch every day, and then we have, like, music showcases and... All that stuff, and you're like literally right on the beach in Pacific yeah. Coast, which is you pretty much beautiful. just had
0: to pay for your flight, right? I mean, other well, uh, other, than I t- mean, other than the ticket, yeah.
1: yeah. And I mean, it's five nights lodging, and you're staying like at a, yeah. a at a like a super super nice, nice hotel, super <laughs> right on the nice beach. But it's hotel. still very jungle vibes. Um, you know, where and not to throw shade at any of the other companies, but a lot of these other ones I've looked at when we were doing market research is like, you know, you're kind of maybe staying in like a cabin with like four mm-hmm. other people or something like that. Whereas this is like you get. A hotel room and you mm. get a vibe out and stuff so yeah so just neverlandretreats.com uh, check it out and you can check the videos of past retreats we've had on there see how much fun it is on instagram we're actually and i forgot where we had to do this but we had to do like neverland underscore music underscore retreats <laughs> uh, which is kind of weird but i forget the reason we had to do it but you can check us out there and then just on facebook i think it's just facebook.com slash NeverlandRetreats. neverland retreats but yeah i mean that's check that out and of course you can find me on instagram it's just sam heights one word and you know you want to follow my Post I do every two months. <laughs> I am, We're gonna get that
0: up. Yeah, We're gonna we work that on that. So. But I, I am on there and I
1: do talk to people on the regular even though I'm not posting. Like people tend uh, to message me on there a lot and I, I respond. So like if that's one way you guys wanna contact me, feel free to do that.
0: And uh yeah. That's yeah, I'm end. definitely going I wanna go to Neverland Retreats twenty twenty.
1: That's that is my like number one it's, goal uh, put that i, I it's, it's 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 so great, dude! It's so cool, and it's it's great. Like if you go look, and this is not even just me tooting my own horn. If you guys go look at the Facebook reviews we've had, like people will usually say, "This was life changing." Like which yeah. is crazy. It makes me feel so good to know that we're doing something that's, you know, not only do you get like your music education and get to make new industry connects, but you're get to have like a cool adventure in yeah. the jungle, which is awesome. It's an know? experience. So, I'm, I I. Fuck! I I want to go so bad. I can't <laughs> wait,
0: dude. It's it, it's so great what you guys are doing with that. Awesome, I man. Appreciate the love. Well, you. thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate everything, and uh, no I'll we'll have to get you on for another episode. We'll have to do a follow up or something. Yeah, man. Uh, maybe, ooh, maybe do a po- live podcast at uh, Neverland. We we people. actually
1: thought about that, so that's on the radar, man. Maybe we'll keep something about that. But yeah, I mean, people, if you if you have, I'll, I mean, I'll just put it out there. If you guys have licensing questions, feel free to just message me on the Instagram and. Uh, like I, I'm on there every day, checking it for like our business account and people who just message me, but I'm just not like posting yeah, every day, but yeah. I'm on there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well,
0: thanks, man. Take care. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Uh, cool. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. This one was a ton of fun to make. As always, you can head to nbsaudio.com slash podcast to check out the show notes. All the websites that we talked about in this episode will be on there. So you can get started with checking out where you can license your tracks, how to get started and start to monetize this because I think it's very, very important that you get started on this. I'm still looking to get some more reviews. So go ahead and head over to Apple Podcasts to review the show and subscribe to it and tune in for the next episode, which is coming out in a couple of weeks. It's going to be a really good one. I've got a manager of a record label coming in and we're going to be discussing how to submit your tracks to a record label and what record labels are looking for.